Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuck nears? What the fucksikins? What the fucking Navians? Welcome to the show. This is WTF. It's my podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being there for me. Today on the show, the elusive, but here you will hear him engaged and clear. Mr. Fred Armisen is here today. Fred is, uh, what is he up to? Oh, he's doing that show with Bill Hader, that documentary now. It airs Thursday nights on IFC, the network where my show is. I would like to thank the people who came out to see me in Dublin, Ireland, and in London, England. It was in and out, man. It was a quick trip. And right when I was starting to adjust to the eight-hour time difference, I turned around and came back, and now I'm still a little fucked up. But it was worth it. Because I got to be honest with you, and some of you already know this, I get nervous when I leave the States. Not because I'm afraid, I just feel peculiar because I'm an American abroad and I don't feel confident with the strange snack foods and and strange um, driving habits. You know, it's not a side of the road thing. Well, maybe it is, but it doesn't matter. Maybe it's the steering wheel in the wrong place, but it's not the wrong place. It's a different place, but it's not the place that I'm used to. And that makes me nervous and uncomfortable. And it makes me assume that these people won't like me or understand me because they don't drive on the same side of the seat that I do, which is fucking stupid because people know me there in those places just as they do here. So I fly. I don't sleep on the plane, really, because I'm nervous. I get to Dublin, it's early in the morning, and I get to the hotel, and I have not slept, so I'm I'm already feeling a little flurby, a little weird, a little tweaked, and I get there, and I go immediately into the restaurant. I stayed at the the Westbury Hotel in Dublin, a lovely hotel, and I went in, got the full fucking Irish breakfast, beans, rashers, black pudding, the other pudding, uh, eggs, toast, uh... Irish soda bread. I just did it. I did it all. Shoved it all in my face. Went up, just crashed for like three or four hours. Then uh, I'm told that Richard Thompson, who I interviewed last week, who I love, uh, is playing at the same venue that I'm playing the night after at the Vicar Theater. And would I like to go? Fuck yeah, it doesn't matter if I only slept two hours in the last 24 and I'm out of my fucking mind. And then there's always part of me like, I just talked to that dude, but is he going to know me? Are we like, hey, what's going on? The guy, Bryn, who runs the uh, venue, I say, you think you get me backstage? He's like, what are you talking about? Yes, I mean, you're performing here tomorrow. Because I, I interviewed Richard. I wonder if we can hang out or I could say hi. 
So I walk backstage. I see Richard. He's like, oh, how are you, Mark? And I'm like, what's up, Richard? He's like, that's your guitar. He goes, yeah, it's one of them. And I'm like, it looks nice. It's telecast. So we talked, man. We talked about five-string tuning. He let me play his guitar a little bit. We talked about the interview. His daughter and her husband was playing in the rails. They were opening for him. And then out of nowhere, the bass player goes, I know this guy. And I'm like, what? Rich, it's, 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 it's Davey Farragher. Who used to hang out with my friend Greg over here at, uh, when he was uh, in Cracker? Now he plays with Elvis's band, and Richard Thompson had just uh, had just uh, hired him on uh, like that day. They had barely rehearsed, but he's a fucking wizard. So I'm hanging out with uh, Davey and Richard, and then uh, I go out into the audience, and I'm like tripping because I'm sleepless. And I'll tell you, man, Richard Thompson's the dude to watch if you're trippy, man. He's fucking amazing. What a wizard! And the drummer. The fucking drummer? Jesus. I believe his name was uh, Michael Jerome. Just a wizard. The whole thing was fucking outstanding. But then I started to fall asleep standing up. I, st- I sat down and I was rocking in my seat. And then I got up and I almost started falling asleep uh, standing up. So I had to go back to the hotel, crash out, just laid out for a bunch of hours and uh, walked around Dublin. Not the most uh, ethnically diverse city or country necessarily. I don't think it's intentional. It's an island. And I guess that happens. I guess there's not a lot of people coming in. More people going out, probably. The uh, the, the Irish are good at dispersing. I'll tell you that right now, man. The clans move around the world. But, uh, yeah, but not not very diverse. I think I visited the, the one black area, which is basically just a statue of Phil Linnett downtown. And... Um, but I walked around. It was beautiful. I love Ireland. I think it's beautiful. I was nervous about the show, but uh, a local comic, Andrea Farrell, did an amazing job opening for me. Very funny. And the audience was great. The venue was amazing. The vicar was amazing. It was a beautiful night of comedy, and it was amazing to be in Ireland. And the next day, very early in the morning, got about five hours sleep. Didn't even get to say goodbye to Richard Thompson because I left early, but uh, I think he was. I think he's probably okay. I flew to London. Get, did immediately did a bunch of uh, radio interviews and then I crashed for like three or four hours and I was nervous about London because it's a big room South Bank Center but I packed out two shows I had a great time Thursday and like listen to me what am I all excited I gotta be honest with you the audiences were both they were great in Dublin and in London and it was amazing I went to the Tate fucking gallery and uh, I got my mind blown, the Tate Modern. And I also had some amazing fucking Indian food. You ever had a life-changing meal where you're like, I'm never going to be the same again? I think the place is called Tayabs, T-A-Y-Y-A-B-S. I, it was referred to me by one of the guys who works at the management agency. But man, I, I don't even know. Sometimes restaurants, there's so much heart in it. And there's some magical thing that some people can do with spices. I just never tasted food like that. It was fucking, and I can't even talk about it because I want to move there. Not to London, to the restaurant. I'd like to move to the restaurant. I had some sort of pumpkin curry and something called dry meat and paratha. It was astounding. But the Tate Gallery, man, the Tate Gallery, I saw some shit. I had, a, I had a pretty amazing experience there. I love that space at the Tate Modern, but something happened to me. Saw the Agnes Martin retrospective. Beautiful, abstract, but very grid-like, organized. Woman was trying to keep it together by laying it out on the canvas. This is where it's held together. This is where art makes sense. This is where everything is at peace. Keep it tight. Brilliant shit. 
them walking around the regular collection. They got a room full of Rothko's, but not just Rothko's. Rothko's I'd never fucking seen before. And I, it's not like I've seen every Rothko, but I've seen a lot of Rothko's. But these, and I'm a Rothko fan. I don't know where you stand on it. These were fucking astounding. Apparently, these were a bunch of panels. They were about eight or nine, maybe maybe even more. And they were commissioned for the Four Seasons restaurant in the Seagram building in Midtown Manhattan. Okay, it, it was it had no. It, it's got no connection to the hotel. It's just it's it, it's its own restaurant, fancy restaurant. And apparently, and I and this is what I learned after the fact that he reneged on the commission. But my friend Sharon sent me a, a text after I talked about this. Uh, she said that Rothko secretly resolved to create something that will ruin the appetite of every son of a bitch whoever eats in that pretentious dining room. That, that's a quote that she, I don't know where she got it, but man, they had these all in one room. They're purple, they're dark, they're late period Rothkos. They're much different than the earlier ones. They're dimly lit and you sit in that room and you are just immersed in the elevated purple darkness of Mark Rothko's brain. It was one of the most amazing experiences I'd ever had with art. I could not leave the room. I left and I went back to just get into that transcendental doom that these canvases would just bathe you in. It was fucking amazing. So all in all, the experience in Europe was beautiful. Dublin, beautiful city, beautiful people saw Richard Thompson played guitar, did some good comedy, ate some good fish. London, beautiful people, awesome shows. Venue was a little bouncy sound-wise, but that's okay. It was okay. We dealt with it. My opener there was Jarlith Regan. He did a great job. I met him in Edinburgh years before when I was unhappy, and he remembered me being unhappy. I was happy that we were both relatively happy and uh, had some amazing Indian food, pumpkin curry, Never experienced that before. Between the pumpkin curry and being mind-fucked by Mark Rothko's and doing great shows, it was an amazing international experience. Did I mention Fred Armisen is on the show? Well, we're going to talk to him right now. Gets pretty personal. Brace yourself. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts Elves. when you had uh a mike watt on, yeah that was like my sweet spot of, uh, was that crazy what a sweet yeah and he kept talking which was great that's yeah. what he does yeah going on about the Minutemen and did you love that band i love that band and i loved firehose I love Firehose. I always did. I was in that, whatever that generation would be called where- Me I, too. I, I, I didn't live in LA, so I missed the original version the of Minute the Minutemen. Me too. 
So I was like, okay, well, I know about the Minutemen, but here's Firehose for me. Right. Dave Cross introduced me to Firehose when yeah. we back in Boston. So what was that, like late 80s? Yeah. And I went to see him. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And and because Mike seemed like the sort of leader of the band, yeah. that was the entertainment. I was like, I liked watching this band. They were all great. Yeah. All three of them. But seeing the bass player as leader, as, uh, as the general or whatever. Mm-hmm. Was I was on board. I saw them so many times. I was so on board. Not since Thin Lizzy has the bass player. Yeah. Been. <laughs> Those guys have so many records out there I didn't know about. Is that re- Thin Lizzy? Yeah. They're reissuing these records. Like a shitload of records. Yeah. Yeah. That was another really anomaly of music. Just where they're from. And you know, the like, sound. The sound. I, knew, I never was into them. Like I knew the hits when I was a young, really young, you know. Yeah. But like, uh, I'm just starting to get into it. I just, I'm, just, I'm late to the party with fucking everything. But that's what's fun about being alive is being late to the party. Like music, I, especially. That's the best thing because yeah. now you can go backwards. You don't have to just wait for everything that's coming out. Right. I've, I've been going backwards to Gordon Lightfoot. Really? Yeah. Brand new to me, or whatever. In the last like few the old years. So like if if I could read your mind, that's which stuff? is a a an incredibly Amazing. beautiful song. Amazing. And and moving. No, there's no better song um, than that. Harry Nilsson, you know, a little yeah, bit of that. Yeah, me too. I just, I got, I just went and bought all his, all his fucking records. Yeah, everything. Like, I'm, all of them. And where, also, like, where, why wasn't, why didn't I hear these before? Why didn't I know? Yeah. And then did you watch that Harry Nilsson doc? Oh, yeah. That was fucking mind-blowing. Because he incredible. lived a long time. Yes, he did. And I didn't know that. I yeah. thought, they they describe his life so much as a tragedy that my assumption right. is, like, he must have, you know, OD'd no. or something. Not the tragedy the was he died and lived. Yes. Yeah. And that's uh, the worst kind of tragedy. Yeah. With like a lot, it happens to musicians, man. Yep. They, you know, but he couldn't even go through the paces. It didn't seem he was so compelled to make original music. Yeah. But you just see these zombies playing their catalog. Yeah. It's rough, man. It's rough. I don't know what it's like for them. Yeah. Like, I I imagine there's like the the having to deal with having to make ends meet. Yep. Sure. Uh, not knowing exactly who you are or where you're going, but yep. that's like um. That's a tricky thing. I'm still trying to like figure out what that world is all about. That circuit. Oh, really? Of okay. music. Of well, people who who uh, lived more in the past, yeah. but still continue to go out and we, play. You know what I've learned, honestly, by going to a Rolling Stones concert for mm-hmm. the first time in 35 years? They're fucking entertainers. Yes. They like to entertain. Yes. They like when people like their shit. I don't think, you know, I don't think everyone's driven by that sort of like, God, fuck, why haven't I written a song? Uh-huh. Maybe they've written two, but I imagine for, for somebody like Huey Lewis, mm-hmm. who probably doesn't even need the bread, right, to go out and play, you know, stuff from the sports record yeah, to a bunch of people going, yeah, it must be great. Sure. Because all there is, is that room. Yeah. So if they're, you know, however many people there and they're into it. It's a really good agreement. They yeah. love it and they love to play it. We're all in good shape. Right, because I think the Stones is a really good example of that. It's like they can't need the money. No. So they do it because they love it. Yeah. Right? And that's what they, that's what they are. Yeah. The what, what else Rolling are Stones. Yeah. But yeah. So, and you know, Charlie Watts is a drummer. Exactly. What, what other- <laughs> That's his job is to be Charlie Watts. Is, exactly. <laughs> and they've kept their office intact. Like Charlie Watts' kit is his kit. Yep. There's nothing else that needs to be- He sets up his own kit. Yeah, I, I talked to somebody who saw him do one of his jazz gigs at the Blue Note in New York, and he got there uh, before, in between bands, and Charlie was setting up his own drums. That's pretty great. That's, that's not someone who great. loves to play. That's great. You drum too, right? I'm a drummer. 
You yeah, know? you know who I talked to who gave me a little sort of window into uh, mm-hmm. your life? Yeah. Albini. Oh, he's he is uh that, that's a really great person. That's a great person to talk it's to. It's like what? So he, so he did this? He did. Oh, great. I haven't put it up yet. And he said he used to see you around the music scene yes. before you did comedy. Oh, yeah. He's a, one of you know my oldest friends. I mean, just from that whole Chicago scene. But but where, where were you born? Well, I'm originally from New York. New York City? Long Island. Really? So I grew up on Long Island. Uh, a little bit in Brazil. I lived in Rio de Janeiro, uh, like uh, second, Why? second and third. How'd that happen? My dad worked for IBM. So what What kind of, uh, what, how many brothers and sisters you got? I have a younger sister, but then I have an older half-brother who is German. So my father had uh, a, a son. A marriage before? Uh, no, just a relationship. He, uh-huh. had, he had a son in, uh-huh. Germ- in East Germany, and then he came to the States, and then my parents went to school in uh, Mississippi, and that's where I was born. They met in Mississippi? Yes, they were both um, foreign students. Where are they from? My mom's Venezuelan and my dad's German. Really? Yeah. Have you met your German half-brother? Oh, I have. And it's he's a- an Armisen? No, um, Fettig. Uh-huh. So, so so he's uh, from his mother's name. D- and, does- he, and he's raised in what is you know what, what was communist Germany. Wow. And, and that's uh, where your father was from, East Germany? Yes, so you grew up with someone who was brought up in communism, basically, give or take. Yeah. So, so my father luckily left Germany um, in the early '60s. So he he was away from that before he was the able wall to get went up. up. Oh, oh, it didn't this is before up the wall. Went oh, up. yes. The in between time. Yes. Wow. So, did he always have a relationship with that other son? Oh yeah. Oh, but, so but it was more, cool. But more um, pen pally because right. we, you couldn't go in and out that easily. How old were you when you met him? I was in uh, a junior in high school or a senior in high school, and that was the first time I'd met him. And really, and there were some similarities. It's really it says a lot about genetics. Yeah, that you know he was into music and he liked a lot of Latin music. It was just very strange, kind of like uh, we we don't really look alike, but right, it, it was a, it was a good uh, experiment. Huh? Yeah. Did you stay in touch? We stay in touch. We email each other once in a while. But oh, I really? I haven't seen him that much. Bizarre, right? That it, must have been wild. Did you did you learn about it in junior in, in junior high or did you always know? Um, it was always uh in the air. So it's sort of like, hey, there's that brother and you know, <laughs> that's your half brother in Germany. <laughs> but you know, East Germany was uh, hardcore. That's yeah. a hardcore Yeah. They, they really you know, they communism I think it was it was more German than German. They really did it. Yeah. East Berlin really did it up with the logos and, and all that stuff. And I, and, and I visited East logos, Berlin. Logos, yeah. Oh, they, they love it. Well, yeah, you it was know. totalitarian in a way, right? Yeah. And I went when it was, you know, East Berlin. I got this visa to go in and they had so many stamps for the passports. They just, the organization of it worked so well for them. <laughs> and it was a really gray place. It was very... Um, uh, it was just a very like you could sense the sort of uh, it was just gray. control, a lot of control and gray just, place, not great place. No, no, gray, gray, right? I'm saying gray. Yeah. Um, uh, just kind of uh, sort of um, I, I would say almost like there's a dullness to it. Yeah. All, right, right. All, all across. Yeah, you just picture people walking with their head down. Yeah, I mean, and they stopped me a lot. I went camping with my my brother and. There was a lot of like, will you stop? Show me your passport. We know where you're from. They would read my passport back to me. You are Fred Armisen. You are from, you know, New York. And um, 
Yeah, I'll never forget it. It was. Wow, it was what, I wonder if, what kind of mind fuck that is. Like, we know who you are, Fred Armisen. We know you are from New York. Yeah, super <laughs> paranoid, super. Uh, <laughs> but then, you know, then it all just ended. So uh, Right. That must have been a hell of a day. Yeah. So you grew up with a Venezuelan mom? Yes. Good food? German and, and Venezuelan food or what? Not great food. No? No. Um, I don't know why I make that assumption. Only because I don't know what it is. I, and it I, seems exotic to me. It's so just, maybe, there's a lot of like, like chicken and rice and like raisins and like oh, weird, you know, <laughs> banana leaf, you know, a lot of corn, cornmeal wrapped stuff. Yeah. So it's fine, but I, I, it's not what I would say like, hey, we had great food. <laughs> uh, I wasn't like, oh, it wasn't like growing up... Um, you know, in an Italian family. Right. Or what part of Long Island? Valley Stream. I don't even know what, what does that mean. It's Is like that... just think, picture Long Island and right outside of like Queens, New York. Oh, right. Okay. Right there. And they worked for IBM? Yeah. My dad worked upstate in, uh, in uh, Poughkeepsie or White Plains. Uh huh. Yeah. He commuted? He commuted. Wow. Yeah. And then you were in Brazil? We did two years in Brazil. How old were you? Uh, second and third grade. Oh, so you, a kid. Not, not enough to have fun necessarily. Or no, but but, fun. but enough to like you know see Brazil and yeah. l- learn what it was like and to yeah. hear Brazilian music, which is still some of my favorite music. You know, samba music. Yeah. And, um. So, and I think the moving around. You did a samba character, didn't you? Kinda. Uh, I've done some Brazilian characters and stuff, playing music yeah, and some yeah. bossa nova and yeah. stuff. So. I've done a little bit of it. Yeah. So that was a good experience, I think. But yeah. at the time, I didn't think so because I was a kid. Right, know? right. You just want to be home when you're a kid. Yeah, yeah. And your folks are still together? They're not together. Oh, when my, did that happen? Uh, my dad left when I was must have been 20 or so, maybe 19. So you're out of the woods. You, you, you could understand it as a grown-up. Yes, now I can understand it. And even then, I was um, very uh, disconnected from it. Yeah. So I feel bad because I should have been more connected and helpful, but I was very... Hey, I'm not in the house anymore, so that's yeah. your problem. Yeah, whatever you got to do, pops. Yeah. yeah. So where did you go? So after high school, where did you go? Where did you move? You were- um, I was in, I, I, st- I went to college in New York City. Where? To School of Visual Arts. Oh, yeah? And I went a couple years. Studying what? Film. Yeah? But, but I really went to play music, you know, when, when you- When did you start doing that? I, I've been playing music since I was like 10 or something. Drumming? Drumming and guitar playing. But mostly drumming. That's like where, what I really wanted to do most. Like, like who were your favorite drummers as a kid? Keith Moon. Um, I, and as I got uh, older into my preteen years, Alan Myers, um, uh, Stuart Copeland, T- Topper Heaton from The Clash, uh-huh. Paul Cook, and then Dave Barbarossa from Bow Wow Wow. Was, I really uh, loved. He, it was all timbales. Yeah. 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 Constant, like, uh, very. A oh, lot yeah. Of, but he did use those timbales. Yeah. 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 Love yeah. those. But um, but Keith Moon was definitely like, I, I really wanted to eventually become like a, you know, Keith Moon. Uh, just the fact that he was so visual and, and right. all that. And he was great. Out of control. Yeah. Yeah. And you played in bands in high school? Yeah, I played in some hardcore punk bands. and That was your love? The hardcore punk? Yeah. I, as soon as punk came around for me, and I think, I guess for you too, it's like, you know, I felt a little late. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it already happened in England and New York. But to me, as a suburban Long Island kid, yeah. it was like, I still wanted to be in London. Like, yeah. I lived that whole 1977, right. even though it was past that. The CBGB stuff and the London and, and stuff? And then all the London stuff. I wanted to be the, the Damned and yeah, the Clash yeah, yeah, and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. And, 
and and I guess Devo too. So um, I just loved I just loved all that stuff and still do. That part has never died in me. And with the bands now, were you did you do the circuit? Did you open for big punk no, bands? No, no, no. Or? We oh, were no. like a local punk hardcore band. Me and my my friend Kenny Young. Mm-hmm. Um, still friends with him? No, he died uh, about a year ago. Oh, yeah. He um he he had some troubles in his life and yeah. then um that was a uh, it was a really sad thing because he really represented my high school years to me. Oh uh, yeah, my but, best friend from high school died too. Yeah, that's it's a hard thing, you know. And, he never and, got out of town or. No, he traveled, but he just had you know he had problems, right? Had, yeah, which eventually I, I I think also though it this his death gave gave him peace mm. as much of a cliche as that is, I. I'm very glad that he doesn't, he really lived through hell. Uh-huh. He would, Kenny would tell me, he, he would like l- laugh and yeah. tell me about all the, he- the hospitals he'd go in and like yeah. people trying to get him into rehab, a, right. lot, a lot of stuff that was like, uh, it sounds like the, 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 like the worst kind of existence. Uh, it's a tough word to lose that addiction thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's weird when you get our age, you're like, you're 48. Is that what you said? Yeah. Like I'm 51. Like you know, you start to you know, start to see it. Yeah. You know, people who. <laughs> I'm having some allergies, by the way. I am not weeping. Okay. Right. Well, you have cat allergies. Yeah. I don't because I, they I, don't come out here. I love cats. Yeah. Very very much. Yeah. But I'm, I get allergic sometimes to new new cats. Like if there's a new cat in my life, right. I get Allergic. Well, this shouldn't be too bad out here. If it gets bad, I can put on that air purifier over there. No, no, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So so you didn't really you didn't make any records or really play. No, no. Much. And it wasn't until I was in. Uh, I moved to Chicago that I joined a band and we started making making more music. But the school for visual arts, so you were you 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 wanted to do music, but you what did you learn there? Did you make film? I, I did a little bit. Yeah. And I learned about film, but I think the real reason I went was to um meet band members. Like that was like that <laughs> was the common <laughs> Yeah, it was a common knowledge too. Like if you want to be in a band, you go to art school. Like the talking heads and Yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. like that's the place or even like I mean, so many bands came yeah. from that. From so, art school? Yeah. yeah. So to me, that was like, that's, that was a place to that, go. <laughs> so that's why you went. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you, feel, you did the whole time? You, you, you graduated? No, I did not graduate. I did uh, like two and a half years or something. And then what made you go to Chicago? I met um, uh, this guy named Damon, mm-hmm. who uh, I thought looked really cool and was into punk too. Yeah. And I was like, let's put a band together. So we played a little bit and then... He was like, I have to go to, to Chicago to go to art school there. And I, I just followed him. I was like, let's keep the band going. And <laughs> and I did. And I moved to Chicago. I was there for, for quite a long time, like 10 years. And you, did you did the relationship with him last? Oh, yeah. I'm still friends with him now. And, oh, he's, really? not, and he's not dead. Oh, good. So we're, you... we're, we're, we're good friends now. And he does a lot of artwork for Portlandia. And uh, he was a very big, is a big figure in my life. So you're, you're in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And you're playing in what's the band called? Trenchmouth. Trenchmouth. Yeah. Oh, I've heard of that. Maybe I've heard of it because of you. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, you didn't make records, or you did? We did. We toured a lot. We toured all the time. We toured and we played in Europe a little bit, and we played. How many albums you put out? Four or five or something. Really? Yeah. So you were a punk band. Yeah. And and you were a known punk band in in the punk world. Uh huh. You know, <laughs> and when you toured, did you get to work with other music? Like, did you open for bands you loved and that kind of? Oh stuff? yeah, we we you know I met, we played with um, Fugazi a couple times, yeah. and Nation of Ulysses, and Candy Machine, a lot of DC bands, and um, we we had a really great time. You know, it was yeah. like that's where I learned about 
more about drumming and entertainment and punk and 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 this country just traveling around getting to know the midwest um and also damon would play great tapes and stuff in the van so i got to learn about like dub music and like right you know reggae and stuff and yeah. punk and so it was a really uh, it was is you know we were very um unsuccessful in, in many ways you know we didn't really we saw bands sort of zip by us and become very popular. Were you singing or just playing drums? Just or playing what? drums. Uh huh. <clears throat> and talking a lot. Like I would, I would talk when I, you know. Um, but like, um, uh, a lot. Many bands just sort of became more and more famous, and we were kind of at the same level yeah. for many years. And so, and I think that like, you know, I'm not. I don't look back at the music and, and think like, oh, we were great, or like, I don't understand why. I very much understand why we we weren't big and I'm glad I mean here I am you know I feel like my life is very good so uh, those things just led to me being here no uh, yeah absolutely but like Chicago at that time having spoken to to Steve Albini Mm -hmm. was uh, there was it was a very sort of insulated and vibrant and creative punk rock scene yeah there were studios everywhere record labels it was a very like and really great musicians. Yeah. There were bands like Tortoise and Jesus Lizard, really great musicians. And, and yeah. Steve, obviously. Yeah. And you were just hanging around and playing? Yeah. Yeah, hanging around and playing. And, you know, I had jobs and stuff, but it was like a really nice scene. I really liked it. Like, where'd you work? Oh, my God. In many cafes. Yeah. Many. <laughs> All over town. <laughs> yeah. You're Do you know really... Chicago? A little. I, I, when we first walked into your studio here, yeah. we were talking a little bit, you and I, yeah. we've known each other a while. Yeah. I was wondering how you, um, you operate now that your show is so successful. Uh, are you still able to engage with people? Do, are you still interested in it? Yeah. Do yeah. St- well, I mean, I, I look forward to it. You know, I was talking to somebody else about it that, you know, for me, it's still a, a conversation. Like it be, it, you know, it becomes sort of a, a job to a degree, but the truth of the matter is, it's still me sitting down talking to a guy or a woman about their life or about whatever comes up. So there's still that nourishment of that. Uh-huh. And that has not gotten boring and or I don't look at it as a chore because, you know, I'm dictating, you know, the tone of the show sort of can change with any individual. Yeah. You know, I'm not, you know, I don't have to do this. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's true. You know what I mean? But some people do have to do things. No, I mean, like, look, we put a show up every two, every twice a week. Uh-huh. So, you know, but it's it's my show. There, I don't have any bosses or, you know, or, or, or you know, like, it's it's very free form. So as interested as I am in ind- any individual, that, that, that compels the conversation. So I still, it's still like that. You know, like, I may get nervous about, like, what the fuck am I going to talk to that guy about? Do you get nervous? Yeah, because I don't always know how it's going to go or where it's going to go or what I want to know or who they really are. You know, you make assumptions about people mm-hmm. uh, all the time. And a lot of the people I talk to have public profiles, so I make assumptions that I've decided. Uh-huh. And, and then, you know, then I, I find out that I'm wrong most of the time. Mm-hmm. But I also don't always know what I'm looking for other than a conversation. So so it be, it's still compelling in that way. You know, I get very involved in people's emotional narratives. So that's... Uh, that's a, an incredible gift. So in that way, I don't get that tired of it or I, I don't, you know, the success of it. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I got to talk to five people this week. Like if I get five or six people in a week, it's a little taxing. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how people who do like, uh, like I don't consider this like therapy, 
But like a therapist who has to like do four or five a day mm-hmm. and just sit there and engage. But I think they figure out a way not to engage. I can't really do that here. Yeah. I think therapists, if they're, if they're kind of uh, been at it long enough, can kind of just fake it. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, now that I'm sitting here, I see that you're right into it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and also when I hear the show, I could, I could hear it. But yeah. I, I just didn't know. I was like, you know. Well, you haven't done the show. We did it live once. Right. And my, uh, like, you're one of these guys who I, I don't know that, I, that it, like, there's part of me that's sort of like, well, what's, what is that guy? Uh-huh. Where the hell has he come from? What the hell, you know, what's going on in there? Because uh-huh. <laughs> I, I think that, you know, because of uh, somebody who's so gifted at doing characters so thoroughly, there's part of you that's sort of like, what, what's, what's real Fred? What's that about? Uh-huh. What, went, what went wrong there? Uh-huh. What's he running from? <laughs> right? <laughs> do, do you get that a lot? Um, yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. There is a, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've heard that uh, um, if I'm meeting someone for the first time. Or, mm-hmm. um, so, sure, yeah. Do you, do you feel a distance from yourself? I mean, do you do you think that you're you're genuine, or do you find that you uh, you you you're, you're sort of darting around emotionally? No, I feel like I'm genuine when uh, in my most private moments. Uh huh. By yourself. <laughs> well, meaning uh, I I feel like I um, have an honest relationship with myself, and uh-huh. which is good. Its own feat, you know. Yeah, sure. Um, but. Uh, I think that um, as I've gone through life, when uh, I get sort of reactions from other people as to the way that I am, that's when I I feel kind of surprised. And I go, oh, okay, I hadn't thought of that or I didn't see things that way. Right. So, um, So I think that just kind of like over the years changes little by little, meaning that uh, um, I'll sort of see things in a different version than uh-huh. what I remembered uh-huh. and then go, oh, okay, that, you know, this is where um, I made some mistakes or this is where, oh, I hadn't thought of that before. But you're comfortable with yourself. Yes, I'm comfortable with myself, um, but I'm always, um, I still want to get better. Right, personally. I, yeah, I, yeah, I'm, um, the evidence to me is that my friends, I feel very, I have long relationships with my friends. Yeah. And they make me feel like uh, I'm okay and then right. I, I can keep going. Um, but uh, Keep going I, in, in life? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, even though I'm 48, I still feel like I can still try to, sure. make, to, to get better at being a person. But do you get depressed? I don't get depressed. Oh, okay. I, I don't know if that's good or bad. Because <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an optimist and... Um, I just uh, I I do feel like I run through life very with a sort of impatience, uh-huh. just you know clawing away and uh-huh. just like really fighting to get to the next thing. Uh-huh. And the, that's creatively too. I creatively, think. yeah. I feel like in my work, yeah, uh, it is where I have have the best handle on things. Uh-huh. That is the only place where I you know with my friends and work where I can. Um, uh, uh, do a good job. Well, where did you? When did you first? Like, how did you make a transition? You know, when did you realize that 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 comedy was something 
that because I think the first time I met you really in person, you were doing Saddam Hussein, the guitar Saddam. Oh, okay. That was the first time I met <clears throat> you in person. We were on the same show. Uh huh. I had seen you before that. I'd seen you live. I was at that Largo show where you got into a fight with someone, and that was I had just moved to LA from Chicago, and that was one of my first experiences. I I, I was alone, and I was told. Um, hey, you've got to go to Largo. That's where the scene is happening. That's where right. interesting comedy is happening. And I saw like Ron Lynch and Karen Kilgariff, maybe Jimmy Pardo, maybe Paul F. Tompkins. But Paul was definitely on that show. Yeah. He was hosting it that night. Yes. And because I was the his, last act. Because his stand-up was, he came out and he was like, I am uh, I am the host because I am the best. Right, right. Um, and then you were last and then you got into that Tackle. altercation. Yeah. Um, Oh my God. And it was a good introduction. I was like, this is a real scene. You know? Guy <laughs> just got tackled. Remember, yeah. it was a weird night because uh, Vincent D'Onofrio was there for some reason. Well, that I don't remember. Yeah. And, uh, and the producer and guitar player for Foreigner, the band was there. How would I have known you that? You wouldn't know that. I knew it, but I didn't know you. And I also didn't know who was who. I was like, here's Mark Marin. I was like, okay, here's another guy. Right. That was all new to me. And everyone scrambled. Yeah. So you're doing, mu- so I, you're doing I, I did, music. So I did music and then I did, I went to South by Southwest. I performed at this, uh, I was playing drums for some bands mm-hmm. in 1998. Yeah. And. Uh, what bands? The, uh, um, John Lankford, Sally Timms, mm-hmm. uh, um, the Skull Orchard. And you were playing drums for all of them? Yeah. They were just, they were just like, hey, will you play drums on this one little set that we're doing? It was really easy. But then there were all these like, you know, South by Southwest mm-hmm. is like, it has all those like talks and like, uh, sort of Back symposium. then it was a little smaller. Yeah. I would think. But yeah. it was still an event. Yeah. And I was so, uh, I think, bitter about where I was in music. You were. Yeah. And, you know, I was sort of like, wow, you know, all the, all the whole catalog to what you could do there was all like how you can make it in the music biz and, <laughs> you know, getting played on the radio. Yeah. So I just um, thought that I would go and just videotape. Uh, myself or or my girlfriend at the time who was that wife at the time Sally Timms um, when did you get married how old were you uh, the, the first one first one was like 1996 how old were you uh, I must have been just in my early 30s turning wow. 30 yeah I got married that time yeah, yeah. Um, and so she had the camera and then I just interviewed bands as different characters mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so like as a German guy as a mentally disabled person as a blind person and then a friend of mine edited. and they didn't know no some of them knew Steve Albini was one of them he uh-huh. knew I was going to do something and then this tape South by, about South by Southwest someone edited it and it became a sort of thing that I could play at clubs I, I gave it to people it got around it, the, the, the old school viral yeah right. P- Pony Express days yeah um, I started uh showing this at clubs that I, I'd performed at with Trenchmouth mm-hmm. and I was getting more press and more people were turning out for that than for playing with the band. For the video. Yeah. And all I had to do was sort of show up and play this tape. So I found a real drive to keep doing it. All, and I think in that moment... To do the interviews. To do comedy. Oh, really? People would talk about this videotape and all of a sudden that became... Since that day... That became my job. That became doing more and more comedy. One thing led to another and then to something else and then to something else. Well, when did you start doing it live? I um, started doing it at, for, for this channel called HBO Zone. These mm-hmm. little tapes, these little interstitial 
uh, tapes. Mm-hmm. Then um, there was a place called the Cornelia Street Cafe in New York that uh, I know that place. Is yeah. it downstairs. Yeah, they were doing some shows, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, I have an idea for something." That weird thin room. Yes. Yeah. I was like, I saw this self-defense expert on Oprah. Can I do a, a self-defense uh, performance? And then right there, I think that's where I started doing characters on stage as a as an act. So what was the angle on the self-defense guy? That he gave misinformation. <laughs> because when I saw the original self-defense guy, it's yeah. all these things, how to protect your purse and your wallet and yeah. how to walk down the street. Things that people can't naturally do. Yeah. You know, the, the idea of like, this is what's right is crazy. You know, the, the, it, there's no way you can memorize all these things. Um so from that, I just thought, like, I'm, I'll do one of those guys. And that I just kind of kept doing that. How'd you get back to New York, though? You were in Chicago. How do you get to Cornelia Street? I was spending time there because I was playing drums for Blue Man Group. And part of the, of the, the training original for Blue, it, The original Blue Man Group? Yeah, but they had a franchise in Chicago. Right. They had a Chicago show. So that's uh, Trenchmouth had broken up, and I was playing drums for the Chicago Blue Man Group. <laughs> 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 that that was you didn't look at them and go like I need to do some of that. You know, I'll tell you something. I learned a lot. Like what? That people want to be entertained. We this Chicago show. I saw Blue Man Group. Yeah, yeah. It's a very entertaining show. It's pure it's entertainment. Crazy. It's crazy. So you know, there's Did you a like band. the guys. They were great. Yeah, real you know, pros, right? Real pros, kind of acrobat athletic yeah. performers but i played the drums in the band my first paycheck in entertainment you know what i mean like yeah i got paid a hundred dollars a show there were different drummers and I, whenever i played a hundred dollars was like a million dollars to me and that's sort of an intense thing because the drum goes all through it. all the way through right and but but being in the chicago show i would look at the audience and every night people would show up and there was like this lesson of like don't overthink it mm-hmm. you know don't it doesn't have to be such a, you know, it could just be pure entertainment. Mm-hmm. And every night people would show up and buy a ticket. Mm-hmm. You know? And it really uh, lightened things up for me. Like, stop, you know, when I was in a punk band, it was so mathematical and like, we got out, you know, out Red Hot Chili Peppers, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. We can't be have, hacks. We can't be hacks. And what, that's not, you know, th- that's not an original sound. Like, right. just yeah, right. that you sort of kill yourself with this, like, you just stomp all over like right. any creativity yeah so blue man group taught me like calm down yeah just it's okay it's okay yeah. relax it could be lighten up a little lighten up <laughs> you know we were painted different colors and stuff and the, anyway so that's why i was in new york i was training for that and then that was just something i, I thought i would do you're training for blue man group yeah because the the original group is in new york so you right i, I learned the drum parts for that in new york so you audition for that oh yes yeah. So you were you were you were like working at a cafe or something doing your punk band, yep. and you saw that they were auditioning for Blue Man Group. Yeah, and you went and you sat in front in a room, probably a bright room with a few guys and a they, drum. We jammed. Kit. We all jammed. Oh, yeah. We all jammed, and then uh, I just kept playing these parts, and then next thing I knew, I had this incredible job. And they flew you to New York, and then you were just sort of a, a guy. Uh, who was the uh, one of the go-to drummers for Blue Man Group? Yes, they rotated how many? They rotated three uh, sets of bands. So okay, there's like, there like a full-time guy, and I was like one of the fill-ins. And so, then uh, then around December there'd be many shows, and then in the summer a few, little fewer. But it was so you did that for a while, two years, something in there. Drumming for there. Blue Man Group, yeah, for two years, yeah, something in there. And they'd paint you blue. 
No, like red and green. Oh. Like, so there was a black light and it was oh, a skeletal. Right. Yeah. I had a ske- skeletal figure on yeah. my shirt. Yeah. Did you like it? I loved it. <laughs> it was great. It was great. It was like, uh, it was felt just right. Uh-huh. So when you went to New York to, to learn the drum parts, you were just wandering around to the Cornelia Street? I mean. Uh, no. Um, the wife or girlfriend of one of the blue men ran this show. At the Cornelia Street. Yeah. It was a variety show. It was a variety show. Uh-huh. Susan, like, she was like, do you want to do something on the show? And that's just... And like, you'd never I'm... done stand-up or any Nothing. performance? Nothing. No, kind. no, no, no. Never. So, you just did you improvise it? No, I, I thought it out. Yeah? Yeah. And eventually, that character, the self-defense character, as the, the years went, and I, I did it at Largo, I would do it in different places. I did it in Chicago, and I met Zach Galifianakis. And he told Lisa Langang, you should book him at Largo. And that's how I ended up at, at doing stuff at Largo, through Lisa. And it was the self-defense guy. Yes. And that and that was the first time I was on t- a network TV. So I did that on Conan. The self-defense That self-defense guy, guy yeah. And, that, it, and so it kind of came... If you, at the time at Largo, if you had been going to shows, you were, you know, apparently you didn't go see me when I was there. Mark. I'm trying to remember. No, like because I went when when that happened though. When you saw me get hit, I wasn't living out here. Ah, I didn't like. I lived out here, you know, for a year in the late '80s, and was primarily just at the comedy store, being a doorman. And I didn't really move back to LA until 2002. Ah. So I was just here for a week or two weeks. Oh, I thought so, you were like an LA guy. No, New York, always wow. New York. I was the uh, other coast. I was the Luna guy. Luna Lounge. Oh, yeah. I remember Luna Lounge. Yeah. So, so I was just in and out. So I wouldn't have seen you. So, okay. So you- I was, I mean, I was kind of making, I mean, I wasn't- No, 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 no. But, was, but it's true because but, like I missed that chunk of, yeah. you know, your pre-SNL yeah. performance time. Because like, you know, you met Zach in Chicago. Yeah. Doing your bit. Were you doing it before bands or how did it- how Yeah, did sometimes it, before bands, before like- um, Jeff Tweedy or Wilco or something. You're friends and, with them? Oh, yeah. I've known them a long time. Yeah? Yeah. I used to work for Jeff's wife, Susan, Sue Miller. You and, knew them when they were Uncle Tupelo? Oh, yeah. I knew, or uh, also when Jeff was doing some solo stuff. Mm-hmm. And, but you yeah. knew that band, the Uncle Tupelo band? Yeah, I knew was, Jeff. I didn't know the rest but of them. They, but didn't they start somewhere else or were they always Chicago? They were in southern or middle Illinois. Or oh, okay, okay. Um, so you knew him when he broke that band broke up. Yeah, that's okay. when that's when he started to, when he was with Sue. And, yeah, and um, I, I would open for them sometimes. And you do how many characters? Just one. I would do Felicito, the Latin timbale player. Uh huh. Um, right like a that. Tito Puente kind of guy. Yeah, I remember that guy. And nobody knew who I was, and they were very, they did not like it when I was opening. For so them. so it was, that. I think that's specifically Kaufman-esque, in a way, like Andy Kaufman. Like you didn't, no one said this is a comedy act. They right, right, you. yeah. I wanted to make it seem real. Like, a, right. like, I wanted to make it seem like, oh, there's this Latin guy. That who, Jeff likes. That Jeff likes, <laughs> and... <laughs> You know, yes. for some reason they've had him on this show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I started doing that, and I did that. A and how of often times. did you did people just be like, "Ugh"? They fuck. were. It was interesting. They didn't. They they were so upset that they actually didn't boo or anything. They were just silent, as in, "Let's let this guy get through this." <laughs> and you're let, just like overly happy, yeah, and, like, yeah. committed, yeah, and, and you can and, really play. Yeah, and yeah. do some jokes that right. I think I ripped off completely from from Tito Puente, mm-hmm. and I had the timbales up there, and then 
people were just in in their own way very polite of like let's just this will end at some point well you you would think Tweedy would have a fairly sensitive respectful crew yes yes so it was the right crowd. You didn't yeah. get any meatheads. No, it was more exactly. It was more sort of confusion <laughs> and forgiveness. Like let's just, you know, he's almost done. <laughs> and you like that? You like I, that reaction? I liked it because, um, uh, you know, I hadn't I hadn't been doing it for very long. Right. So for me, any excuse to go up and do something, to me, it was a huge. Um, it was a feat. It was a very like, wow, I'm actually, I'm no longer in a band. Now I'm going in front of people, and this is what I'm doing. Yeah. So when you did that first one at Cornelia Street, and I imagine you got laughs. Yeah. And you killed. Was it? Did you realize at that moment, like, oh shit, this is yes, <laughs> this is what it, this is where it's at for me. It was an immediate feeling. Yeah. yeah Even yeah. the amount of time I must have been out there, you know, maybe five uh-huh. minutes or so, and that felt like the right of t- amount of time to be right. out there. It, everything about it. Just the first performance was like, this is what I would like to do. Right. And because you can do whatever the fuck you want. Yes. And it can be confusing. It could be whatever it is. And it's okay. Because they didn't have like, you know. Right. Uh, wasn't jokes. Stan- right. It wasn't a stand-up yeah. comedy venue. Yeah. So, well, that's the amazing thing, I think, also about stand-up to a degree is that you really decide. The context is whatever it is. Yes. You, you do whatever you, you know, just you should be funny, uh-huh. but you can do it however you want. And I also had nothing to lose, right? Like because uh, it just didn't it didn't matter that much. I was like, I've gotten this far. This is you know this is huge for me. So how'd you meet Zach? Zach was on a sh- uh, a Chicago show that I did. I think it's Chicago Comedy Festival or something, and he was on the same show. And one of the first Chicago Comedy Festivals. One of those, yeah. That was a chaotic bit of business. I think you know. Yeah. I, I guess. I think and I did then, the first one. Yeah, it like was ninety nine. It was yeah. a lot smaller. This must have been two thousand or two thousand and one. I'm gonna say two thousand one, maybe. Uh huh. Um, two thousand. Right. It was run by a guy when I did it because I got sober right after that, ninety eight or ninety nine, and I think they took it away from him. Like I think he lost hold of it, and then they they started doing it uh, a little more organized. Yeah. And that's yeah. where you met Zach. That's where I, th- that's where I met Zach, and the, and then he was really helpful. He you know talked to Lisa Lyon. Well, that makes sense to me. Him respecting the the. The uniqueness of what you were doing. You yeah. Know, he, he, he's a like-minded person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, that was very helpful. Nick, Nick Swartzen, too, when I was at Largo, he was very helpful in, like, hooking me up with agents and all that stuff. Really? Oh, yeah. So, you, you, you on Zach's word, you came out to L.A.? You, um, I, I might have already been living in L.A., but I think Zach was the one who connected me with Lisa Langang. So, you moved out because of HBO Zone? Yes, you were like, this yes. is my, this is the thing, and you yes. were doing the characters. I was doing the characters, and and um, I, I felt like I didn't have to live anywhere else. But I, I love LA. I, I just have always wanted to live in LA. And how are your parents feeling about this? They're very proud. Oh yeah, they're very and yes, they were excited that you were excited. Yes, at right. first they were confused. They didn't know what what this was that was happening, <laughs> and the band thing was very, I think, sort of a disappointment. Scary to, to them, I mean. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, how do you explain to them? You know, they just think you're not gonna. It's not gonna work out. Yeah, they're worried. Right. Usually, is what happens with band parents. And understandable. The sure. older I get, the more I go. Oh, I get. Of course, they're worried. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. Also, the amount of convincing I had to do. No, mom. I'm. You know, I'm touring. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. You know? <laughs> All right. So you come to LA. You do an HBO Zone. You do Largo. Schwartz and sets you up with some representation. Yes. And then, so all of us. So already, I'm just doing mo- comedy. Music yeah. is already in the past. Right. And. Bob Odenkirk saw me at uh, Largo. So we're talking 2002? 
Nope. One. Mm-hmm. Um, pre 9-11, mm-hmm. he put me on a pilot that he did called Next. Mm-hmm. He's, I, I became friendly with him. And then from there, I was able to have enough like tape and stuff to like right. start applying to SNL or whatever. So that was the goal from that point early on. You were like, that that's the destination. I had a manager at the time who was like, hey, we just put Seth Meyers on SNL. And I was like, they, they, I remember them saying, do you want to be on? I was like, what are you talking? Of course I want to be on. Now, where now where where does the, the first... First of all, are you happy with this? Are you happy with this interview so far? Yeah, I, I, I love that you were a drummer for Blue Man Group. Oh, you didn't I, know it. I didn't know it. Why, does everyone know that? I think people in their own ego think everyone knows everything. Oh, but yeah, I you mean, obviously I mean? you've talked about it. But yeah. no, I, I, I like talking to you. I didn't know how it was going to go. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you kind of move through the life. Yeah. So, all right. So you tell, they say Seth Meyers. We just got Seth Meyers on. Yeah. It's 2001. Do you want to be on SNL? Yeah. And I think the next year then I started, they sent a tape to Marcy Klein at SNL. Yeah. Of what? Of me doing those characters, you know, yeah. um, uh, Felicito and all that stuff. <laughs> stuff from, from being on Conan and, and also from being on, Bob Odenkirk's show next. Now, wh- where's the first wife in this? Is that done? That's done. Um, How long did that last? Well, a couple of years we were together, and then we we stayed married for a while. But I was, you know, yeah. I did it long distance, and and we were friends. It was not not friendly for a while, and then it was friendly, and then. Um, uh, How long were you married? Uh, I would say. Tech, you know, we, we were in a coupledom mm-hmm. for like maybe two years or so. Right. But then we stayed married. So we broke up. Right. And then we, but we remained married for a while until we could, you know, sort out all the divorce stuff. Right. Later on. So yeah. it was when I was in SNL that we we finally sorted out all the all the divorce. Was it bad? Initially, it was it was bad, but then it became not bad. She's still a musician. She's still a, a musician. So mm-hmm. She sings with the Mekons. Oh, that's a good. So band. she's she's British. She's a great singer. Yeah, and, and you guys are okay. Yeah, ish. You yeah. know, well, you know those things. Are, it's, <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah, it's yeah. You. Uh, I don't talk to you. Either, it's you know. Either. It's how how do you describe it, something like that? You know. Well, if you don't have kids, you, there's no real reason, right, to to maintain a relationship. But you'd right. hope it would be polite. Like my first wife, it's okay. Right. It's like you, you know, know, I see her at family events because she was friends with my brother's wife, first wife, and you know, it's good. It's good now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's very instrumental in, you know, getting me actually into comedy. How you know, so? just she introduced me to a, a lot of um British comedy. Um Dennis Pennis, um The Day Today, yeah. uh, Steve Coogan. Uh-huh. And I think that's kind of like where and I, those are names by the way that all comedians are like, "Hey, you know, like it's like a cool calling card." But I really mean it that she showed me tapes of these people who uh, really kind of got this idea in my head of you don't have to be like a stand-up stand-up comedian. Right. You could be this other thing. Yeah. And but never ne- never Andy Kaufman. Absolutely Andy yeah. Kaufman. Now, <laughs> when I was a kid, that's almost like, I, I assume that's something that affected everybody, Andy Kaufman. I don't know if that's true. Well, for me and my friends. Yeah. He was know, it? SCTV and Andy Kaufman. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Andy Kaufman. I mean, like, we just, you know, we all imitated him and talked oh, really? about him. Andy Kaufman, absolutely. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, but see, the the reason why you know I'm saying it, and 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 it's interesting to me that you're like, wasn't everybody? Is that no? Obviously, it wasn't everybody. I suppose not. Yeah. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that you definitely draw a line between what you see as the 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 shortcomings or the limitations of stand up comedy, and and you know you you know because that that's over here, 
Yeah. And, you know, you knew that was one way. So, you, you know, knowing that you liked Andy Kaufman, who was, you know, above and beyond or, or, or extraordinarily different, but somehow placed in stand-up historically. Yes. yes. So, you know, he was un- unto his own. But I see that you, you make a distinction between traditional stand-up comedy and the freedom that you found to do what you do. Only for me. That right. I that I didn't have the ability but, to. No, yeah. but 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 it's it's interesting to me that that, that Kaufman had such a, a an impact on you because oh, he yes. was he was definitely a specific thing and not everybody's thing. I suppose I didn't even think about that. It wouldn't be everybody's thing, <laughs> right? <clears throat> but um, for me, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like, what was the first thing you saw him do that made you go like, "Holy oh, Mighty fuck. Mouse"? Oh, <laughs> that was it, huh? Mighty Mouse, and then all the wrestling stuff where he would. I remember he did something where he was just like talking right to camera and he's like, hey, everyone in the South, this is soap. Yeah. And that yeah. was just that concept of like, oh, this is so immediately insulting. <laughs> it was so, and he's kind of doing a character. And, right. Oh my, I just, the <laughs> yeah. very idea of it. it yeah. Really, really, I, I loved it. Yeah. But we, but we, we were a little, were we, were you seeing it in real time? Like Mighty Mouse? Was- no, I was, I, this was, something happened where, SNL must have been doing reruns or something. Because that's 76. Yes. Yeah. And somehow in 1980 or right, somewhere right. there's where it was started to... That, and that's but, where you were introduced to that's him. Where, that's where it was happening for my friends and so I. So you, Mike you and saw everybody. Andy Kaufman for the first time on maybe like a, a an SNL anniversary so I, show. Something. A something. repeat. Right. And, and I've asked Lauren about it. I'm like, Lauren, why do I know these things that happened in 1976 or 75? Yeah. But I think maybe what does they he re- say? that they I think that they reran some of the original episodes sure. at some point around then. That yeah. you've asked them that to him to his face and he and, yeah. he, and he says what? Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, or no, he'll say like, yeah, I think they had a like he'll right. explain that there was some system where because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 He's, it's nice that he answers you. He tries to figure out. Like yeah. I can't see that that's necessarily on his radar where they repeated it you know he seems to have a good he's got a good library for that stuff oh really in his in his head yeah and i ask about it all of it because those musical guests on snl i will never stop asking him about the bands that he had on. like who the specials right <laughs> yeah he put the specials on tv yeah i think it's the best musical performance ever of anything uh-huh and uh, definitely of snl uh-huh and he put this what did they perform ghost town what did they gangsters oh yeah I mean, it's the greatest thing ever. It, I can't get enough of that. And Devo. Uh huh. Um, and what do you ask him? Like, what was it like? To why? Work? Yeah. How did you know? What, didn't he have a booker? He had a booker, but I think he was trying to reflect like what was going on in music at uh-huh. the time. Talking Heads too. Yeah. I think Devo. He explained to me they had the same manager as Neil Young. It was one of those things. <laughs> right. Yeah. But then Lauren has this ability to sort of sum up mm-hmm. in a couple of phrases what the band was and i think with devo he was like art schools he said something about art school and yeah. i was like okay he you know he yeah, right he recognizes what all these, right. these bands were the b-52s yeah. talking heads all these bands that like really inspired you know what how i do comedy even that kind of performance straight to camera you know costumes you know. so this so that's interesting to me that that your sense of of what creative freedom could be as a performer in, in, in the specific way it applies to you came from SNL. Yes. Yes. As a young person. Yes. I remember David Bowie did something where he had like a Klaus Nomi was his backup singer. He had um, like a, a, 
a fake dog with a TV in his mouth. Just, uh-huh. v- just visual things that immediately resonated with me. And you were like, what, 15? Something in there, yeah. Yeah. So when I see Lorne now, that's the guy I see. I'm like, you. Ha- he had a connection to all of that. So it's directly, well, you know. It's right, ju- but it, it's interesting that it wired your brain for who you are creatively, you know, specifically, you know, comedically and musically to a degree. Without a doubt. Isn't that something? Without a doubt. Yeah, just that's like... like I just did a classic talk to him. What do you? What, <laughs> what do you know? How, what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> we both decided. Yeah. So I then that that sort of loads up the the possibility for you to be on it as being like this like mind blowing thing. Yeah, SNL meant a lot to me. Always, always has, still does. I still watch it. I'm still connected to it. I've always understood the language of it. Even when I didn't agree with the host, I understood why they were the host. Now, how long has it been since you've been on? I, I was on, you know, I, I left in uh, 2012. So You miss it? Oh, no, 2013. I, I finished it's only been in 2013. a couple years. Uh, I'm always around it. Uh, and was I it don't, your choice? Yeah. It sure was. Hard choice to make, but... But you're still in the family. I mean, Yeah. It's a, <laughs> I remember Amy Poehler telling me, she's like, you'll feel when it's time to go. Yeah. And she said, don't worry, Lauren will always be in your life. SNL will be in your life. Don't worry, because that's what I was worried about. I was like, I want to, this is, a, you know, I love being around it. And and yeah, and you were like, well, let's, let's, let's work up to that. So, so they send the tape. Oh, yes. They send a tape and then they bring me into audition. And uh, I, I went to, at UCB, went up and did my. The original UCB with the shitty, the, the weird seats. Yes. But you walked in and you kind of had to walk by the stage. Like you, you know, when you walked in, yes. the, the stage was on the right and you had to make That's it. That's the one. Yeah. Okay. So who else is on the night? So this is where your audition is going to be. Yeah. And everyone else who auditioned was um, groups, like improv groups. Interesting. And then I, I went up and I did that. And then a while later, maybe a month later, two months later, they asked me to come back and do it at the studio. Oh, Right, and camera they audition. Me. Yeah, they flew me to, and I was already like in heaven. I was like, I can't believe this is happening. It like, was just for Marcy at UCB or no. Lauren came? Oh, Lauren came, Tina Fey came too. Mm-hmm. She and, was the head writer? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. And then, uh, wait, wait, she, she was head writer? There was a couple head writers, I think, right. at the time. And then when I met Lauren, I was like, I was like, you you knew George Harrison. At, you said that to him at UCB? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you... You, and then I, I asked him, and then this is a very typical Lauren thing to say, that, but I asked, I was like, just this conversation, like, so are you seeing a lot of people, meaning, you know, auditioners? Mm-hmm. And he answered, no, which is a very honest, like, you know, yeah. you, you would think the answer would be like, oh, yeah. But he was very like, no, we are not. So when you said you knew George Harrison, you sort of approached him with a, an intensity yes. and a sort of left field question because it was what was compelling to you. Did he, how did he respond to that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine someone who knew George Harrison? <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't know if it would, you love George Harrison. Any of the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. They're like, you know. He knows Paul Simon too. Yeah. yeah. Paul Simon. I mean, that whole, everyone, he, that was my way in. Yeah. You know, of like George Harrison, Paul McCartney, but like. All this subsequent conversations about the rest of the bands, I loved it. Ricky Lee Jones, let's talk about all these these bands. That conversation doesn't end. Every with, time with I see Lauren. him, every time I see him, <laughs> you know, yeah, so fascinating uh, to me. So, all right, so uh, you say do you, you love George Harrison. Are you seeing a, a lot of people? No, yeah, no, and that's it. That's the end of the conversation. End of the conversation. Met Tina. 
Uh, then I did it again at at the studio, and then um, I, you know, from there, Marcy Klein told yeah. me that that I got the job. So then, did you have to meet Lauren again? I ended up not. I just saw him again in the studio, but I didn't have like an official meeting with him. Now, was there fear, like, I mean, in approaching this, because you seem sort of like like you were ready to go. Like, I'm not, I'm not sensing any kind of no. like I was freaking out. No, or... no, no. It was all, everything was just dessert. It was right. like ice cream. You know, it was like, <laughs> yeah. I still think of it that way. I still think, I can't believe it. I can't believe my luck. What a nice thing to like watch this show and get to know these people. Because, you know, there's the show and there's the people, you know. There's, yeah. There are these, you know, crazy people who like built this thing. Yeah. Like you know? who? I mean, like like Lauren and all the people around him, and uh-huh. and um, you know Steve Higgins and and all the people on the cast, people from casts from before, who just were part of the uh, of it all. A family, alumni. Yeah. And they'd come in occasionally, wander yeah. around. Yeah. Just Chevy like, Chase would come in. Chevy and Chase walk around. Molly Shannon. Was Dan- there ever a point where like, why is that guy hanging around every day? Who? Like any of them. Like any, no, like, no, uh, no. Uh, it was never for long enough to ever get that sense. It was always... Not not sad. No, because also it's like this building in the middle of Manhattan. Yeah. So it's not very um, physically friendly in that way. Where right. It's like you the, where there's through. a bar and you can hang sure. out. It's, it is a little... It's, it's cold enough that people just pop in and out. Right. Now, during your time there, which was like, a, what, a little over a decade? Yeah, 11 years. Like you said... You didn't like there'd be times where you didn't agree with the host, but you understood. Oh no, I meant I meant I'm watching the show. So before I was ever on, yeah, when I was a musician, I would see a host who knows who, but who was like more of a pop culture figure. And I would disagree, but agree with the the choice they made. Like ah, oh, I understand. I understand. Right, right. I always so you learned about show business. Yes, I understood the logic (laughs) of uh, how SNL is like a newspaper or a magazine, Right. right? Where it doesn't all have to be such a catalog evening it's yeah. it's all sort of hey this is for right now this is how right it should be sure and over the course of the decade i mean what was meeting musicians that you respected more exciting than doing the show um it was yes it was it was really exciting <laughs> seeing all the all the different kinds too yeah, you yeah, know yeah. stuff i never people i never would have imagined meeting like who? Uh, I remember meeting um, the uh, the musicians for Paul Simon, uh-huh. Steve Gadd, the drummer, who I, it never occurred to me that I'd ever meet this person. Right, he'd been with him for years, right? Oh, he's the he's um Fifty Ways to Leave Your Love. Yeah, he yeah. composed that drum beat. Yeah, so at the studio, this is going to sound like a made up talk show story, but I, I have you told it many times? <laughs> no, no, okay, I've never, <laughs> but I. Saw him and I go, you got to show me that beat. <laughs> so we went to the kit. We yeah. went to the kit and he showed me what it is. Yeah. And it's an upside down, insane beat that makes no sense. And he was like, and you know how musicians, you assume they talk like scholars? Yeah. He was like a New York guy. He's like, yeah, yeah I just kind of turned around. You know, I had this. He's very sort of, um, very. he explained it in a very simple way, but it's a very upside down, bizarre beat. Can you nail it? Yeah. It's like... You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you couldn't have figured that out on your own. No way, no way. Really? Because the way you hear it is different than it's played. Oh, okay. You hear something and you assume it's something, and he's like, "No." Yeah. So who else? Like, did you pull aside and have to go look at their instruments or get some? There were bands like um, 
I remember Modest Mouse, uh-huh. and I remember Jack White too, where I would look at all the pedals that they had, mm-hmm. which was great too. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, they really have like a full setup. So you were the guy out there all all the time with the when the music rehearsal was on. Yeah, loved it. Yeah, seeing how they loved did it. it always. Yeah. Was it only you from the cast who would? No, go? I think I, a bunch of us. Bill Hader was a super. Everyone, you yeah. know, it's like depending on the band, right? You're just out there and you know just seeing what they have, all the little stuff that they take for granted. And you must have met a lot of musicians that you you didn't necessarily like their music, but you were like, wow. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all the time. Especially like- Because they're playing live and that's not, that doesn't always happen. I don't know how much backtracking they do or, or how many much you know, overdubbing they do on those live performances, but they're pretty they're, live. They're, they're- The real deal. Yes. Especially hip hop actors. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually not that educated in. Right. So to see their live band, I'm like, oh, that's- th- the drummer who plays for whoever. Yeah. Look at that job. Yeah. Look at He's that guy playing. holding everything together. Yeah. You know, at a volume where you can hear everything else. It was it was pretty amazing. Wow. Yeah. So in terms of creating characters and doing impressions, how much work do you have to put in? I mean, I, I imagine that building characters from the inside out that you invent is is something more organic. But impressions, I mean, what do you do? Is it like rehearsing music? No, it's like the other way. It's like the other way around, where you reach for what is in your wheelhouse anyway. So it's uh-huh. not like you wrestle with it. You just find something like I think I could do so and so. Right. I think that you know my skull looks like their skull. I think that my right. They seem to be from. New and then York you just certain. drop into it. Cause yeah, because well, it's a knack thing. It's, it's almost like you just like you walk into the the groove. Yeah. Like it's a it's it's almost like an essence. Yes. Right, it's an essence. You, you know, I look up at a picture of somebody. Sometimes someone would throw something at you, and you get lucky. Uh-huh. Someone wrote something where I played David Lee Roth, uh-huh. and I'd never imagined, you know, like right. trying to do him. But then, you know, you, you get probably could have gone to his apartment and worked with him for a little while. That would have been great. <laughs> he was around, <laughs> yeah, to hang out. I, uh, so stuff like that. It's just you know. Also, I don't. I don't walk around thinking, hey, Mark, I'm yeah. the king of impressions. You know what I'm saying? I'm no, like, no, no. I, I, it worked I, for SNL, but I, I, you know. I don't, I don't, I, I never even think of you that way. Yeah. Really. I think of you of more of a guy who creates characters. Like there, you did a show, and I think I talked to you about it before. Yeah. That was like painful to me in a way. I think, did I talk to you about it before? Uh-huh. You used to. <laughs> It was it was so perfect and and so brutal and it's weird that I reacted to this as being brutal. <laughs> uh-huh. You did the guy who's doing the one man show. Oh yeah, yeah. That because there was a period there in comedy specifically, yeah. which is exactly I think defines the different world that you run in creatively, where a comic would you know in order to get more attention uh-huh. on himself would create a, a show with a narrative uh-huh. like a one man show yeah. that that didn't necessarily have to be funny uh-huh. <laughs> and, and 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 it happened a lot and i and i did one uh-huh. so you, you know there there was this guy you did i saw it at ucb i think here uh you know where you're just telling. I don't remember what the story was. Do you? Uh-huh. Do you know the character no, I'm talking know. about? I, I remember the character, but I don't remember. It what was just story. a guy doing a one man show, yeah, and yeah. you had the movement of a guy yeah. that was awkward with stage movement, but having to make the point that he's trying to make about his life. Yeah, and uh, like, I and mean, it might have been a Long Island guy. I think I, sounds I, about right. Yeah, and I was just sort of like, oh no, oh, like it was such a specific impression because it wouldn't read as a satire, in, 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 in unless you knew that world. Well, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, it's for us. Yeah. It's, you know, I don't yeah. know who's going to be entertained by it, but I figured... Uh, right, but we, to me, we, it was sort of like, oh, that's brutal. <laughs> because it was just this earnest dude. You know, what struck me was you were playing a guy who was performing because he had he put the time into putting this thing together, but talent didn't play into it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had seen a show somewhere. Right. It might have been when Aspen was still happening. Right. That was like a very serious one-man show. And there was something about... The volume of someone, you know, the, there's a, because it, it's so quiet in between words. Do you know what I mean? Like it's loud, but then I'm so nervous as an audience member because it's so quiet in between where they say something and then, and then you hear their footsteps too on the stage. You're dish, dish. Yeah, yeah. And that. And then they pause. They pause. And it's so thoughtful that I could, it feels too still. I could feel it in my stomach. <laughs> It, it is uh yeah and that's what drove you was that that yes, yes. moment yes the, the, and, the, and as you described it it's not it doesn't have to be funny it's kind of not funny it's, it, it's actually quite serious right and <laughs> how profound it is maybe life at and, least in the way it's presented. And it's presented is profound and and questioning and like the whole like what you know the the questioning of everything what does it all mean, mean yeah exactly yeah exactly it's just you know but to me, that really speaks to who you are creatively, that your discomfort in those silences of a guy trying to make a very earnest point about yeah. his experience yeah. uh, was the tone yeah. that drove the character. Yeah. I kind of want to live in it forever. It's just so <laughs> horrible that I want to live in it forever. <laughs> so getting out, like, so you left SNL and Lauren was fine. Your experience with Lauren, it sounds, was... Because I think of your confidence and, and your 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 excitement that seemed to kind of last the entire time you were there, uh-huh. that you didn't see Lauren as 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 frightening. No, I saw him as someone who wants to make something. You know, someone people want to make something. I think, yeah. What what is this that what you are we do? making? Yeah. How did how did you do this? How, what do you want? Yeah. What's your next thing? Yeah. And watching him, just watching him direct, even though he's not the director of the show, but he he would give notes on the, on the dress rehearsal. Right. <clears throat> He'd give notes on the dress rehearsal. The way he saw everything on the walls, uh-huh. the color of wigs, the color... I, I, someone who's obsessed with aesthetics, I'm, I'm so on board. I'm like, who's that guy? Right. So, you know, I, I, I worry that I don't think enough about color. I'm yeah. like, look at this guy. Isn't that wall a little dark? <laughs> For a sh- who? He's so on it. <laughs> and then he's very, um, also with, he doesn't let you get precious about yourself. Uh-huh. He doesn't, he doesn't let you go, he doesn't want you to think like, hey, um, I'm I great. I got it, yeah. Which is the best way to be. Really? It's, it's. The best thing to but, serve the, the sketch, to serve the show. But he's encouraging or no? He's encouraging, but he protects you from yourself. He's protect, protected me from myself so many times. In what way? Like an example. An example. This is a really good example. Mm-hmm. I did a character, ooh, a little bit based on um, you and David Cross. Oh, yeah, together. I remember that, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, like I, de- I got uh, emails about that. Yeah, I think yeah. Armistice. Nicholas Fain. Yeah, and he dressed a little bit like you. Yeah, but we talked a little bit like David Cross. And yeah. and the joke of it is, I never finish a sentence. I just he's a comedian. Know, he's a comedian, but you know, Largo. He's like a Largo comedian. Right. 
And the joke is I never finish a, a sentence. I just, it's half sentences. Like, now, like what? Like, for example. If I did it right now, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't appreciate, you would, you would, the, the way you would laugh. Yeah. Or the way that you would want it to be on your show. Well, you would take away from it. it so it's like that. It's like, hey. <laughs> so it's that. Anyway, I did it for dress rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Then I did it for air. His note was, we're not going to do it for dress rehearsal anymore because you are trying too hard to make it sound like jazz. Mm-hmm. Where jazz musicians enjoy their own music. Right. You're trying too hard to make it different every time. Right. So he saw that he's protecting me from me trying too hard. Mm-hmm. No more no more rehearsing this business. Mm-hmm. Let's do it on air where it could be fresh. Mm. And and what a reference that it's like jazz instead of like, hey, you know, check me out. Right. It's like that has to go. Right. That's someone who knows me better than I know myself, performance wise. Uh-huh. And he did that a lot. He did that a lot. What a what a thing to do. Well, I think because he, you know, he knew innately that, you know, your 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 talent was seemingly boundless when you, and specific. So like he, he knew that you were going to get it, mm-hmm. that you were, you know what I mean? Whatever the hell it is yeah. that you're putting together, you were going to get it, but your, your overworking element. Yes. Is, is your worst, is your liability. Is, is my, is my worst enemy. Right. Interesting. And, yeah. So stuff like that. Also. Mm-hmm. And also like, you know, maybe there was an impression I did that wasn't great. Maybe there was a character I did that was like, so, so. Right. We're not doing it on the air. Did you know usually that he was right in those times, or did he ever? Do I that? learned that it took me a few years, uh-huh. and I'd feel like a, more like a failure. I'd go, "Damn it! Why didn't I just? I should have." But then later, I was like, I understood. Oh, it's just a show, right? And there's there are a million other opportunities to do something else where you can do that, right? But it seems like you you you're unique in the SNL, the people I've talked to and the people I've known over the years that. You know, you still seem to, you, you're still sort of a, a mystery, talent-wise, mm-hmm. in, in the sense that, you know, you didn't, you, you always seem like um, the best part of you, in a way, you, you know, is on stage. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not in a moral judgment, just in that you kind of leave it on stage, and then you get off stage, and you're not like, hey, there's Fred Armisen out at the thing. Look at Fred Ar-. You know, you're not yeah. doing what a lot of past performers do you you went in an entirely different direction in a way because i think you had more choice in the in in the way you went that you seem to be generating something that you are intrinsically involved with creatively in in a way that gives you the most freedom possible yeah i'll take it i mean the way you described it is better than i could have ever put you know what i mean oh yeah yeah like you didn't sort of like you know i'm gonna do a bunch of movies based on the characters i did right I'm going to keep doing new characters in in a creative environment with uh, with Carrie yeah. uh, for a network that gives us a lot of freedom yeah. and really see where it goes and and not you know have to play into this mega million dollar studio machine where you might have been crushed. Right. It's a, it's a I haven't I I don't think things far enough ahead. Yeah. I just do a little by little. Right. And but that is basically the way it is. Like this seems fun and this seems lucky because all these things but you were a musical director for seth meyer's show for the first what six yeah. months or something or are you still doing that I'm still still doing it <laughs> from afar <laughs> i love eleanor friedberg 
How great is Eleanor Friedberger? The best. How great is she? I love her. I wish we could have uh, been, uh, you know, married. It it didn't work out. Well, you can still maintain a type of relationship with her. I haven't. That see, there's we met, we spent a little time together, and and I really liked her, but I just I couldn't. uh, It it didn't seem logical to me. Have we dated some of the same people? Probably. I think we have. Okay, (laughs) let's go through it. You really want to go through it? Sure. I don't because I, I I don't I don't date a lot of show business people. And her and I we we only you know maybe dated a couple of times, but I was sort of like in, you know in you know starting something else, and you know it didn't. And she lives far away, so you know what I mean. But there's always a way that if you really like someone, that's right, to keep them in your life. Anyway, it doesn't have to be dating. I I don't know if I've really gotten the hang of that. Have you? With some people, right? So with rough. people like Eleanor, yeah, who you know. You know, we didn't date anymore, but I, there's still a way to, to you know, right. she's a creative, she's, For example, with Seth Meyers' show, like, yeah. how about why don't you stay in my life? Right. Somehow, anyway. Play some guitar on Play this some thing guitar. I'm doing. And there's actually like, the, the, it's there's something kind of there's an intense intimacy to that. Yeah. It's 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 actually nicer because it's not loaded the same way. Yes, exactly. So. Um, yeah, that's but a, you, you've had some fairly public, you know, disturbing relationships. It seems. Oh yeah, I've had. But you can't hide, I guess. No, and it's these are you know the choices that I made. You yeah. Know? So, but why would you get married again? Because it's it's so intoxicating. The idea of it, or yes. the actual being it, because all you, of it. How long were you married to Elizabeth Moss? Two uh, years? Some, less than that, under a year. Was we, that we, heartbreaking? I I was very heartbroken at myself. Mm. I felt very. Um, I gave myself a hard time. I felt very bad, and I've I've. That it broke up? Just at how little true work I would put into something. Mm-hmm. That um, that I got so caught up in the beginning. The beginning is so intoxicating. You, and, how long had you known her? A year. Okay. So that's a year. So the whole thing was very short. Right. Um, but And you were like, let's get married. It's it's so exciting. And and I, this is going to sound very shallow, but, mm-hmm. I, but you know, I, I get lost in fantasy a lot mm-hmm. really so, the guy who does characters <laughs> but i would i would hope that i had a place where i didn't get lost in thing but right you know the fantasy of this person from mad men and you know who great actress great actress incredibly you know, compelling and unique incredible and then as a person is interesting and yeah. all of it all of a sudden there's it's almost like a, a slide of like this is great it's like starstruck in a way it is like being starstruck mm. And I was getting to know the other people from the show and her. And I even felt like at SNL, I was all of a sudden, I was talking about, hey, you know, guess what's happening with me? Yeah. So it was very, very exciting. And and um, I I think I just only got caught up in that part of it without the, the problem. And this, you know, we're talking about this relationship. This is something that's happened to me a million times. But this, when do you know it goes bad? I mean, like, so you're, you get married, you go through all that. It's still exciting. And yes. then what the fuck happened? Every I, I have a problem with intimacy where all of a sudden there's a real person there, right? Oh, so now you're stuck. Now, now I'm like, oh, there's a person behind all of this. It's not the girl on Mad Men. <laughs> it's not the girl. It's a it's a person, person with feelings. The same thing happened with Sally. That is that she's she's British. So I heard this accent. Yeah. Marry this British woman who's in a band, mm. and then all of a sudden there's a p- real person there, mm. and. 
And, I, and, and I'm trying to, you know, fix this. I'm trying to get better at this. But something happens in me where it's almost like an amnesia, where it's an almost like waking up and going, where, where am I? Who is, who is this person? Even why is this person looking me directly in the eye and having a conversation with having me? Having emotional expectations. Yes. It's a very, um, hmm. it's something, so it's, it's something that I, I, so you can be sort of in a spell. Yes. And for like a year or two that, yes. And that's a public one. Mm-hmm. When I lived in Chicago, I moved, I would move from apartment to apartment. I remember live, I would move in with so, so many people just lived with women. a girl, women, and then met someone else, moved in with them. The amount of times in my life I've had oh, a lot of broken hearts back there, huh? Yeah. Mm. And the amount of times I've had furniture sort of, you know, handed to me, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's happened a lot. And like, I want you out. Who usually ends it? You or her? It's me being, becoming impossible. Oh, and so then, you, you uh, make it happen. I shut it down. You make uh, it happen. Yeah. Or, or do you start or, saying things like you're going to go? I, there's, well, there's infidelity, there's yeah. cheating and there, there's all, you know, it's a, it, it's the most chaos I've had in my life. Around women. Um, Yes, mm-hmm. um, and that's the that's the you know bad bad side of it. I, I'm not I'm neither ashamed or proud of it. It's just it's just it's just something that's happened in my life that, and this is just a relationship part yeah. of it. I, I'm not even talking about the sex part of it. Where, you know, when I was in abandoned stuff, where my my main goal was to hook up with strangers. Yeah, you know, on tour. That's where, a, that's a, like not unusual for performers. I want to do it to get girls. Yes. You know, where are we touring? Okay, yeah. I know someone in San Francisco. Ooh, yeah. I actually know a girl in Seattle. Yeah. You know, and right. I have a suspicion that might have contributed to the fact that our band didn't get as far as it did because I certainly wasn't about the music. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was at recording studios with the band, uh, I never thought... Maybe like, it should have been a different kind of band. Maybe. <laughs> but I still would have found the same chaos. I think well, I still would have... And... and, and I say these things because I, I don't, I'm not finished being a person. Well, right? look, we share this, dude. I mean, I know that compulsion, you know, the compulsion of connecting yeah. and the compulsion of, of feeling the, the excitement of engaging sexually with, with strangers. It's like there's really nothing like it. There's nothing like no, it. and and you know now, uh, you know, like everything else in, in our lifetime. You know, there's a framing for it. You know that you know, the sex addiction or whatever. And and being a guy who who is familiar with recovery from drugs and you know understanding, you know that yeah, okay, yeah, maybe I can look at it like that. But it's still like it's still sex. It's you know, like, still- but the chaos thing, you know, you can't under- underestimate how compelling that is either. Because when when you're a person who is creative and and you know you work really hard, that there's something you like about the excitement of chaos. Yes. But it, all of a sudden, when you start realizing how many people get hurt, right. then all of a sudden you're like, no, oh, fuck, I got it. Right. <laughs> right. If only that wasn't part of it. And I wonder how, like, you know, because there are musicians out there, when you hear David Lee Roth stories or Gene Simmons, I'm like, how do those people do it? Because they don't seem to be have the same... Or, you know, we don't know these people. You don't know it at all. See, that's right. your, the same part of your brain that romanticizes everything else. Is like yes. the thought that like those guys do it. It's like we don't know their fucking. We life. don't know their life. It could be a nightmare. Absolutely, could be a fucking nightmare. We do not know. You know, you know this public personality who's like that guy gets so much pussy. Yes, but you know, at home he could be like you know just apologizing. You know, every five minutes. To, I think to, you're right. Oh, dude, this, I, we're all humans. Yeah. But I, I mean, don't see. I don't. No, because you, you're <laughs> fantasizing again. Yeah. Yeah. 
Where's that? I want to be the guy that gets away with it. Yes. I'm like, how did they? Yeah, when they're getting away with it, I don't know if they, I don't think. I'm sure there must be some hurt feelings in there too. Oh God, so, Yeah. It's, but you know, we're not, I do, I still believe in myself. I still feel, I'm like, I, no matter how much I've fucked up in my life, I still think, well, that's okay. Let's keep going. There's a way to. Well, now you also got a little public rap. You know, there's a little like, you know, word on the street shit. Yeah. But, you know, the weird thing about that one in particular is like, you know, when I hear that, it's like, well, you know, it, it it's not unusual. Do you, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, so he fucks around a lot. But, yeah. you know, I mean, how when you're when you're a man who likes to have sex with people. Yeah. And you, you know, you get to a certain place in life where you can do that more frequently. How the fuck are you not going to do that? Yes. Because, you know, whether you want to be the type of adult that restrains himself. Mm hmm. Or not, that's you know, that's a lifestyle choice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Th- that's I, I, I agree with you. And um and that's okay. I think even negative things help me go yeah. forward. I'm like because I also think it could be a lot worse. How you know, I think of the lucky side of it that I didn't have a, you know, I don't know, a string of children along the way or right. you know, anything like that. Right. So I'm I'm actually fortunate in that that this is where it's at. That I'll I'll take it since I brought that into my life. Right. Well, what's your hope ultimately in that area? I mean, do you, do you find do you find intimacy as you experimented with it or tried to access it? Do you find it that rewarding? I do. In that, a person who I can be intimate with is is a a person who I don't have sex with, which is say Carrie Brownstein. Mm-hmm. I I find true intimacy there, so I, I know that I have it. I know that I'm not. Shut a monster. Down. I yeah. I know that I I know that I can be myself. Right. Also with my friends. Right. And I think also you know through program stuff I know that I can. There are ways that every every day I can try see to have a better see the difference. So today, I I don't have to worry about my phone or some stranger that I hooked up with. Or right. Something. That for now. Right. I can little by little. You know, I'm, I'm having a good day today. So you're learning how not to, you know, uh, act out and 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 use people in that way. Yes, and right. it's hard. Yeah, and <laughs> it's hard, and it's. Uh, I don't assume that it's a, it's a pill that tomorrow is and everything goes away. Uh, it's the hardest one, dude. It's very very hard because look, I tell you, man, I you know I went to a couple of those things, mm-hmm. and the the weird thing about about like um. Like, you know, drugs and booze, gambling, mm-hmm. you know, you don't need those things. Right. Food and sex, kind of need it. <laughs> you do. Yeah. And and like to sort of like to be in that position to determine your own bottom line around that shit. How do you? It's tricky, dude. And what's tricky also is booze is in certain places, mm-hmm. but people are just, they're just everywhere. <laughs> so Bars open all night, all day long. At you know, every hotel, every yeah. restaurant. Yeah. And, Who's and, that? And, and with celebrity comes uh, a, a lot more access. And uh, I don't envy your struggle, my even, friend. Even, no, it's okay. Yeah. Like, because because here I am. I'm yeah. not delusional about it. I'm yeah. not delusional about myself. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the struggle, also, I can't help it. I yeah. can't, this struggle that I have, I don't have a choice. Yeah. This is the struggle. Yeah. It could be a lot worse. Sure. I yeah. also could be dead. Yeah. Yeah, there are you worse know? things than than and then having too much uh, vagina options. Yes, <laughs> I yeah. know. I I think also that um, 
the, as long as I understand that there is a struggle, I think yeah. that's that, that's, that's I, what most of I, it is. I think you know? you're right. Um, that's that's the part where and that I can and I've had some really great days. Yeah. So um, that's the part that I, I where everything else falls away uh-huh. because I know that I've had this much right. You didn't time do it. thinking about myself. Right. Right. Um, and then also I, when I talk to people like you uh, yeah. and um, sometimes Natasha, just people in my life, they are also calming down. They're like. Yeah, don't yeah. don't worry you know it's just we, you know the the thing about having the self-awareness and also having the support is that you know when you're in one of those situations where you're like oh, I, gotta freaking, oh, I, got, I could so do this right now oh yeah and then you gotta like you know i gotta make a phone call it's, <laughs> so why is life like that <laughs> why i'm about to go up to this room and I, I gotta, I gotta. there's also the other thing is yeah. when you get to do what you love to do mm. You've got this confidence too. You're sort of you're very much yourself. Sure. And you, can, you can, you know you yeah. like your oh yeah man. You, you know you're so, just full of the juice. Hey, I'm a, I, you know yeah. I'm a comedy guy. Yeah, so man. what's the problem? Yeah, yeah. So that's even it's even worse. You have a lot of confidence. So. Yeah. But all that said, I, I you know like people like Eleanor. Going back to that, I still am able to have good relationships with people. Yeah. And with exes. You know, with well, I think what happens also as you get older is that you realize that you know that chaos. You know, you 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 actually have to do this, the like an inventory of like, is this worth it? Right. And and that that's just that's a mature decision. Yes. Like this is you know you know what's going to happen. Well, the it yeah is huge. The yeah. it is like, do you want you know some you know yeah. someone's boyfriend calling you? Do you want you know right. whatever? Right. You, know, you, you want to get killed? Do you want to get killed? That's a real thing. That's a real thing. It's reality. So that's, you know. No. That's <laughs> true. No. I, do, I like being alive. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so what's going on with Portlandia? Um, Are you doing, we're, the, I'm, I'm flying back tonight. We're in our sixth season. Yeah, it's great. And I, you know, we're on the same network. I love it. I think no matter what, I think it gets out there. You know, IFC or not IFC, you know, through even through Netflix. And IFC is very supportive. Yeah. People seem to know it everywhere I go. So it's um, it is my greatest joy. It is my greatest happiness in my life. Oh, that's great, man! It is, and uh, it's so fun. It looks so fun for you guys. You know, both of you. It's a dream. All right. Well, I'm glad, man. I'm glad you're living it, and I'm glad you're taking care of the other stuff. Thanks. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> and you too. I, I mean, are you taking care of all here? Yeah, stuff? yeah. I'm in a I'm in a relationship now, and and I'm very aware of my sexual compulsion and yeah. my anger issues. Uh, so, I you know, I'm aware, and and I'm doing well with both of those. <laughs> I'm I'm happy to hear that. Thanks, man. I, I'm I'm in a relationship too, and doing the same thing. It's like good, you know, good. We can do it. We can do it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just put my forehead up against the microphone. <laughs> nice talking to you. Thank you. That was an amazing conversation. I was nervous to interview Fred because I didn't think that uh, I could get to get to know him. And that was the most successful he's been. And I've known him a long time and I've had him on a live WTF. So I enjoyed that conversation immensely. Go to WTFpod.com for all your WTF pod needs. Get on the mailing list. Do some things. Uh, check uh, my calendar. I'm going to be in Australia in October. That would be good if you went to the Australian shows. I got the new kid here. It's fucking loud, dude.
Boomerland.